Father God, you are so good. You are holy. You are worthy. And even our praise could, could never measure up to all that you are, all that you deserve. So God, we offer it to you anyways. But we recognize that you are so above it all. Thank you that you hear us, you love us. You've chosen us to be part of what you are doing in this world. Even though you don't need us, but God, you chose to use us. You choose to use us. So Father, we praise you today. You are good. You are great. You are wonderful. You are powerful. You are almighty God. Thank you for who you are. And now, Father, as we turn our attention to the word, would you open our eyes, clear our minds, help us to hear and receive your word this morning so that we can know you better. Father, we pray all of this in your holy name. Amen. Hey, before you have a seat, turn to someone near you and just say, God is good, and I am so glad that you are here this morning. And if you're in the front row, make sure you turn around and wave at the cameras as well, because we've got some people online as well. Well, it is good to be here this morning. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, how many of you have heard the saying, imitation is the greatest form of flattery? How many of you heard that saying before? So I remember the first time that I heard that saying because I remember thinking, that's dumb. <laughs> and it's really annoying. See, I... Remember, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a middle child, and I have a younger sister. And ever since I can remember, my little sister, and I got her permission to talk about her to the, this morning, uh, but she has always been my little shadow, right? Any of you that are middle children, you know how this is. Your younger sibling is your shadow. So when I started ballet... Pretty soon after, she started ballet. And when I started to learn how to play violin, a few years later, she learned how to play violin. And she was always in yellow, and I was always in blue, but the outfit was exactly the same, and we had the same matching little pigtails and little bobby things in our, in our hair. And we always were twins, even though we're a couple years apart. And so I remember maybe eighth or ninth grade, that something, I, I don't even remember what it was, but something that she was doing was getting on my nerves and she was trying to be like me, imitate me. And I remember talking to my mom and saying, mom, she's driving me crazy. She's trying to copy me in everything she does. And I, I poured out my little eighth grade heart to her and, and told my mom how she was being so annoying. And then... My mom, with all of her wisdom, said, well, you know, 
imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Now you can imagine how this went over on a strong-willed, independent, middle child march to the beat of your own drum, Jessica. So it did not soothe my eighth grade little soul, but I, I guess eventually I got over it. But as I look back at that, I think I have to admit she's kind of right. I, I think there's some truth to the saying, imitation is maybe the greatest form of flattery. See, when we imitate someone, what we're saying is that we love something about that person or even we love that person. We love them so much so that we want to be like them. We want to dress like them or talk like them or act like them or do the things that they do. We see something we like, so we emulate it, we imitate it. Or maybe to put it in slightly different words, we look to what we love, which affects how we live. We look to what we love, which affects how we live. See, I know that my sister loves me. And I know that when we were little, she was watching me, watching everything I did, and she wanted to be like me. And so her copying me was because she loves me. It just makes sense. It affected what she did. I had a friend who loved this one TV show. And she knew all of the characters, every episode. She'd watched it all multiple times over. And I never really got into the show while we were friends and while our, our paths crossed. But years later, I, I watched the show. And as I watched it, I realized the main character of that show was my friend. Like, I thought my friend was just really stylish and had like this really unique style. Oh no, she actually was just this character from a show. She dressed like her, she talked like her, she even did like, I kid you not, this weird like foot thing like that, just like this character. And so as I watched this show for the first time, I was like, oh my goodness. That's my friend. She really loved this show. We look to what we love, which affects how we live. See, and Jesus was no different. He looked to what he loved, and that affected how he lived. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to be flipping through several places in the book of John. But in the first passage in the book of John, chapter 5, he says, I tell you the truth. This is in verse 19. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he's doing. See, Jesus, the son, had his eyes on the father, God, because he loves the father, and the father loves him. See, when I pick up Phoebe from the nursery, 
I can tell when she sees me because her, her face lights up. But when I walk out into the lobby with her, and there's a whole sea of faces, you can see her eyes searching because there's one face that she consistently looks for, daddy. And you can see her little eyes and you can tell when she sees daddy because her face lights up even brighter than when she saw mommy pick her up from the nursery. (laughs) See, we naturally look to who or what we love. Jesus loved the father. And so he looked to the father out of love. But not only that, the son is watching the father, watching everything the father does, and and he copies it. Why? Because he wants to be like the father. He wants to show the father that he loves him by doing what he does, by, by imitating him. He looked to who he loved, and it affected the way he lived. So what did Jesus see when he looked at the Father? He saw love. The Bible says that God is love. That's part of his nature. That's part of who he is. And so when Jesus looked at the Father, he saw a perfect picture of love. And so then it only makes sense that at the core of everything that Jesus did, the way he lived was love. See, think about the things that Jesus did while he was on earth, just during his ministry. What what comes to mind? He taught, he fed people, he healed people, he, he traveled around a lot, he did miracles. All of these things, though, at the core of them is care and compassion for others because that's what he saw in the Father. See, in the book of Matthew, when the crowds were following Jesus, he saw them, and it says he was moved with compassion toward them, so he healed their sick. In the book of Mark, when they continued to follow him, it says Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And after three days of teaching, they were still there. They were still listening. They hadn't left, and so he still had compassion on them. So... He fed them because they had nothing to eat. When a leper came up to him, begging him to make him clean and to heal him, Jesus looked at him and he said, you are clean, be healed. And he was healed. The book of Matthew, when two blind men are brought up to Jesus and, and they said, we want to see He felt sorry for them. He had compassion on them. So he healed them. In the book of Luke, when Jesus saw a widow whose son had died, 
Jesus looked at her with compassion. And he said, don't cry. And he raised her son back to life. See, in each of these situations, there's this word compassion. And it comes from the Greek word for spleen. Bet you didn't think you would hear that in a sermon this morning. Spleen, like the organ in your body. Because at one point, people thought that your spleen, your inner organs, were the seat of emotion, the source of emotion. And so it's, it's like Jesus felt what he saw in his gut. It's like he felt a love so deep inside of himself that it was, it was gut-wrenching and he couldn't help but do something about the love that he felt so deeply. See, everything that Jesus did was a result of love. Because that's what he saw when he looked at the Father. He looked at the Father who he loved. And he imitated what he saw in the Father, which was love for others. See, and that is the very will of the Father, love towards others. After Jesus had compassion on those 5,000 people and fed them, that's more compassion than I would have when hungry people come to me. But when Jesus saw them, he said in chapter 6 of John, if you want to flip over there, I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me. Not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. See, Jesus looked to the Father and he saw love a deep love for people, for every person on earth, a love that could not bear to see even one person lost, but rather longs still to this day for everyone to see God and to know God, a love that was willing to send even his own son to earth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, everything that Jesus did flowed out of a deep-rooted, gut-wrenching love and compassion for others because that's the best way he could model what he saw in the Father. Now, if you've been in church for a while, though, everything I just said is not a new message. You've, you've heard that. God is love. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. We've heard this message before, but it begs the question, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, 
mini-Christs, followers of Christ, how well do our lives imitate the life of Christ? We look to what we love, which affects how we live. And if we say we love Jesus, we should be looking to his example. And his example is a life overflowing with love. Love for his father, God, and a deep, gut-wrenching love for others. And so the natural expression of eyes fixed on Christ should be an outpouring, an overflowing of of gut-wrenching love. Not because God needs it, but because we love God and want to be like him. And to be like God is to imitate his love. 1 John 2 says those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And Jesus lived love. But I worry that sometimes our lives aren't actually affected by that which we claim we love. We see love for others modeled in the Father and in the Son, and we're thankful for that. We may even tell him that. God, thank you for loving me. I, I worship you. I sing to you. We, we say that, maybe in an environment like this, God, I love you, but it doesn't always change the way we walk or talk or interact with those around us. It doesn't change the way we live or the way we prioritize our days. In the book of 1 John, it tells us that loving God means keeping his commandments. And Jesus says in John chapter 15 that God's commandment is love. He says in John 15, verse 9, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. See, following Jesus requires us to live otherly, to live in a world that says, I am most important, and instead say, actually, God is most important. God is first in my life. I'm choosing to put him first. And because my eyes are first and foremost fixed on him who I love, it actually has an effect on the way I live because we're imitating Christ. And his life looked different. But following Jesus also requires us to love otherly. Because that's what we see when we looked at Christ. We see a love that is deeply concerned for people. 
and cannot bear to see people separated from God. And our lives should be marked by this kind of otherly love. A love lived out that cares deeply for others, but also cannot bear to see them separated from God. See, if we love God and we look to God, it should actually affect the way we live, and our lives should be marked by otherly love. Because that's what we see when we look to Jesus. Did any of you in elementary school ever pass notes? Probably none of us would, would admit to that. But pass a little, you know, ordinary piece of, of notebook paper and you'd fold it up really small so that you could like clip it inside a pen so that you could pass it to your friend. And then when the teacher goes, what's that? Oh, it's just a pen. I'm lending my friend a pen. I'm sure no teacher ever fell for that, but they played along and pretended like they didn't know. All the teachers in the room were like, yeah, right, we always know. But did you ever get one of those notes and you open it up, kind of sweaty palms, what's my notes say? And on the inside of it, you see profound little question, do you like me? <laughs> or if this was like potential marriage material in the fourth grade, maybe even do you love me? with like little hearts drawn around the outside of it. And, and you're sitting there, you're looking at that note as a little fourth grader, you look back and you see this wide-eyed little cutie and he thinks he's hot stuff and he winks back to you and, and, and he's wondering what your response is gonna be and you're sitting there while the teacher's talking about grammar or math or something and you realize that this question has a huge potential impact on your fourth grade career or at least you're weak. Because you see on the bottom, underneath that question, it says, do you love me? Circle, yes or no. And the way you answer that question can have profound impact on your life. In the book of John, Jesus posed that same question to one of his disciples, Peter. And this man who has said to Jesus, I, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. I, I want to live like you. I, I, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to watch you. I'm going to learn from you. I'm going to do what you do. I, I, I want to be trained by you. I, I want to imitate you and be like you. And he did. He left his life. He left everything he had behind. And he went where Jesus went. He, he taught what he taught. He lived like he lived. Anyone who saw Peter would say, yep, that, that is a disciple of Jesus. 
But at the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, before he essentially turned the keys over to Peter and and his disciples and said, you take the work now, you continue the work, he asks Peter this question, do you love me? And the way that Peter answered that question would have profound impact on his life. John chapter 21, Jesus asked Simon Peter, verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, scholars have pointed out that the way that we have translated love is really different words for love in the original language, but even with that being the case, the question is still essentially the same. Do you love me? And this clearly felt like an odd question for Peter. Of course, I, I love you, Jesus. I mean, uh, don't, don't I follow you everywhere? Uh, don't I listen, sit in on all your sermons? I mean, every time the synagogue's open, I'm there. I, I love you. I love you. Don't you get it? But Jesus' response every time wasn't about any of that. Every time, his response was about his sheep, about his flocks, the people who had been entrusted to his care by the Father and whom he was now entrusting to Peter. See, I think what Jesus was getting at was, Peter, I know you love me. I know you look to me and and you've dedicated your life to following me. That's not actually the question. I can see that you love me. You're a different man. You you live differently. You carry yourself differently because, because you love me. But I don't want you to stop there. I want you to love the people I love the way I love them. Because that's how people really know that you look to me and live for me. See, the natural indicator of our love for the Father is love lived out for others. So the question is, do you love me? Do you love God? And for some, you might say, well, duh. Can't you tell? I I love Jesus, I'll I'll say it, okay, then live otherly, love otherly. 
And maybe others will say, well, I, I'm not sure. I, I get the paper, I, I circle or, because I'm not sure. I, I don't know, but I, I, I think I'd like to know a God like that. A God who loves deeply, and, and the good news is that you can know him. You can have a relationship with him because he loves you so much. And so if, if you're the person who says, I, I, I love Jesus, live otherly and love otherly. But if you're the person who says, I don't know, I'd love to talk with you about how you can. Do you love him? I was looking up the quote that I shared at the beginning, imitation is the greatest form of flattery, because those of you who know me know that I sometimes um, have a tendency of messing up well-known sayings, so I figured I should look it up just to make sure I had it right. And I realized that there's actually a second part to that quote that I'd never heard before. The actual quote is, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery mediocrity can give to greatness. And when I saw that, it kind of just gave me chills. See, because I, I may not be able to speak for you, but I am nothing great. My life is, is nothing really worth watching. I mean, I may stand up here, but, but I'm, I'm really nobody. I'm mediocre at best. But God, God is great. We sang about it. God is, is good. God is holy. God is love. God is everything great in perfect picture. And the greatest flattery I could give him, the greatest act of worship I could pay to that kind of great God is to imitate him and to love the way he loved and extend that love towards others. So do you love him? Would you pray with me? Father, we look to you. We want to imitate you because you are good. You're more than good. You are great. God, we, we want to imitate you because we, we love you. But don't let our love stop there. Help us to live so much like you that we can't help but love those around us, your, your flock, your sheep, your people. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive, forgive me for the times that we've loved you but have not lived out that love towards others because that's what you've modeled and called us to. For those of us who know you, help us love others the way you do. And Father, for any who are here or watching online who don't yet know you, 
Father, I pray that they would be drawn into knowing you because of the love they see in us and because of the love you have for them. Give them the courage to say, God, I want to follow you with my life, to live the way Jesus lived and to love others the way you love because you love me. God, affect our lives by the love we see in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me now and receive these words of sending? Would you leave here this morning overflowing with the love of Christ, but ready to imitate him in loving others? You are sent out.